Hi, my name is Roger Yates. I'm an ethical vegan from Dublin, Ireland, originally from Yorkshire, England. You can Google me on, on human non-human relations. You're listening to the superb coexisting with non-human animals. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. Vegetarian. Vegan. Yeah, Let's well. get it right. You used the word animals, but I suppose what you should have said is non-human animals. Hello and welcome to episode 89 of Coexisting with Non-Human Animals, 2012. The end of non-veganism? Question mark on the end. And also, today is the 21st of December, New Zealand time. 16 minutes into the 21st of December. 16 minutes past midnight. <laughs> and today, according to our friends the Mayans, is the end of the world. What's everyone so worked up about? So there's a comet. Big deal. It'll burn up in our atmosphere, and what's ever left will be no bigger than a chihuahua's head. Wow, Dad, maybe you're right. Of course I'm right. If I'm not, may we all be horribly crushed from above somehow. <laughs> okay, if you're that worried about it, let's go down to the bomb shelter. We have a bomb shelter? Homer Simpson takes care of his family. <laughs> Flanders, open up! hi de ho rooney neighbor. What can I do you for? Get out of there. My family needs to use your bomb shelter. Homer! Oh, I kind of figured this might happen, so I built the shelter big enough for both our families. No deal out. Get in the shelter, Homer. So what happens now to our friends the Simpsons in the episode from season six? Uh, what's it called? Uh, Bart's Comet. It's when Bart discovers a comet through a telescope and all kinds of stuff. And I guess we're just going to have to wait till the end of the episode. Or you're going to have to give up and go on the Pirate Bay and download a torrent of Season 6 of The Simpsons to find out what happens. Or you could just legally read the Wikipedia entry, I guess. But you'll definitely find out at the end of this episode. And to celebrate the end of the world, I thought I'll be a little bit impromptu, and I won't have a script for once, so I'm just going to ramble on and on and on. And at this time, I imagine uh, Diane and Ian of The Vegan Option are going, No! He's already tangential enough! Please! Make him stay on script! Please! Please! God! Please! And uh, it's not going to help, because I've already recorded this, haven't I? <laughs> so, what do we have to talk about for this end of the world episode? If um, you have the misfortune to have my voice as the last thing you ever hear, I feel very sorry for you. Um, so, so far the Mayans haven't blown us up here in New Zealand yet, but they've got a whole 24 hours to make good on their prediction from a million years ago. So, what have we been up to? Well, there was this little movie that came out. Um, it was foreseen that one day there'd be a Hobbit movie, like my first episode of this year. I was also very nervous about 2012 coming. 2012, it ain't the end of the world. And it was something to be nervous about. But The Hobbit is here. And it's great because I love The Hobbit, the book. And I was worried about The Hobbit, the movie, or the first part of the movie trilogy. Because we heard about all the animal welfare allegations of basically not enough fences being put in place. As well as unlevel ground. The farms where the horses in particular were had pothole, potholes, rabbit holes, potholes too probably. Um, 
and it was a really dangerous place for horses to be. But of course, out of the rumoured 27 or so, there's 20-something animals that some of the claims are about. 20-something animals, and the majority of those are chickens, which people don't seem to be upset about. The chickens were killed, apparently, when a local dog escaped and got into the area that where the chickens lived. And the chickens are only in the movie for, gosh, a couple camera shots or so, just in Hobbiton, just to show that they live rural farming folk who live in holes in the ground, which are nice and dry. They're not a nasty, wet, slimy hole in the ground, as the start of the book describes. Um, and the chickens are just sort of running along the lane as Bilbo runs and jumps as he goes on his adventure. And so that's the whole point of the chickens. And I don't know if it's the chickens shown, where the ones killed, or if there were extra, extra chickens who are going to be in other scenes, or were going to be in that scene before they were killed, or what. But the chickens were killed in the night, or whenever, by this dog. So... It's a non-vegan film made in a non-vegan world and there are deliberate animals killed and we are very upset about these animals that were killed through these accidents. And really, I guess the ultimate answer to this sort of thing is to not use actual other animals in movies, right? I mean, we have computer graphics, computer animation, to have synthetic animals, if you want to call it that. <laughs> Animal analogs, <laughs> even though they're actually digital analog, <laughs> digital animals. It's kind of cute, isn't it? Analog animals, animal analogs, even though they're digital animals. See, this is the kind of stellar wordplay you get out of me just after midnight. And I have something else to report on, that we, the Invercargill Vegan Society, are back from another pub quiz, and we went under the team name The Vegetators, and for the second time in a row, we came first. And this time, the first time there were 39 teams, this time there were 23, but coming first out of 23 teams is still nothing to be sniffed at, and it was fantastic. And, um... Yeah, it was great to show that vegans can win. I was wearing my Peaceful Prairie Colorado USA Animal Sanctuary t-shirt, and it was good fun. And yeah, vegan team, an all-vegan team, Catherine, Kerry, Steve, their son Jess and myself, we all came first for the second time in a row. And we won some dinner vouchers, 40 New Zealand dollars worth of dinner vouchers, which is 30 American dollars or so, for um for going out to a cafe called Ziff's in Otatara. So it'll be fun to review and add them to our website, like we recently added to our Eating Out page on the Invercargill Vegan Society. Bombay Palace and uh, Peter Pit and Subway. There's Hell Pizza, who have a vegan pizza, The Sinister, and uh, a couple other places. So we're really showing people what vegan options there are here in Invercargill. And if these places are in Invercargill, that means they're probably in the rest of New Zealand too. So that's working out quite fun. We'll go out and see what Ziff's is like for vegans. The Hobbit's a pretty important children's book. It was written like 1937 or something like a, a billion years ago. A world without Facebook and GarageBand and iMacs and iPods and iPads and Android phones and Windows 8 touchscreen computers sold at Harvey Norman. It was a different time. And it's amazing that a book can hold up so well. I mean, the visual effects aren't as great as a book written these days. But it's, on the whole, it's pretty good. And it's got quite a few important characters who are vegetarian or vegan in The Hobbit, believe it or not. Which is quite rare, considering it was 1944 when the word vegan was invented and coined by Donald Watson. And the book's from 37, and so perhaps there were ideas relating to not harming animals. It might have been seen as being a Puritan or... Um, Tolerance, temperance, whatever it was, not having alcohol and that kind of stuff. Um, 
And it's interesting that there are characters like the elves, who, the golden immortal people, it's hard to imagine them having elvish slaughterhouses, right? There's actually a quote in the movie, which is not in the book, which Peter Jackson's put in. Sir Peter Jackson to us. Um, there's some dwarves that complain when they get to Rivendell, uh, quote, I don't like eating green stuff when they're given a salad which has looks like silver beetle kale. And they also have another quote, Where's the meat? So yeah, the elves are vegetarian or vegan. And there's an, a character, I won't spoil too much if you haven't seen The Hobbit yet, the first movie. There's a character who has rabbit friends. And he lives in he lives in harmony. He coexists with all kinds of non-human animals. He saves their life and he talks to them and he can easily recognize them as being different and he lives with nature and he notices that the evil totally wicked spiders are coming in and that's when he knows that the neuromancer's back and there's some very cool scenes with that and the witch king of angmar who you might know from i am no man and all that kind of stuff well that's not exactly how uh, her voice sounds she's no man <laughs> from return of the king and it's quite a cool scene, and we get to see something about the, the wags, the wolves, the talk about, you can't outrun the wags of wherever the blink they're from. And he says, these are something-something rabbits. And then we get to see this fantastic kind of Santa Claus-like scene of these rabbits willingly pulling a sleigh, which is totally realistic as a sled kind of thing as it goes over ground. And indeed, the rabbits, the rabbits, animals known for speed, are indeed faster than the awful carnivores. So we see the herbivore rabbits and the man who lives in, na with, in touch with nature and he manages to outrun all the wicked goblins and orcs and nasty wolf wargs. <laughs> so that's quite a cool scene as well. And of course, I wanted to share um, how we see in the movie how eating meat, quote-unquote meat, or animal flesh, how it's seen as a negative thing. The trolls from both the book and then the movie. The great heavy faces of them and their size and the shape of their legs, not to mention their language, which was not drawing room fashion at all at all. Mutton yesterday, mutton today, and blimey, if it don't look like mutton again tomorrow, said one of the trolls. Never a blinking bit of man flesh if we had for long enough, said a second. What the hell William was a thinking of to bring us into these parts at all beats me, and the drink running short what's more, he said, jogging the elbow of William, who was taking a pull at his jug. William choked. Shut your mouth, he said as soon as he could. You can't expect folk to stop here forever just to be hit by you and Bert. And then, of course, some nasty scoundrel snuck a recording device into the studio and might have an audio clip from the movie. Beautifully balanced, that is. Wrap your long thing around that face. Well, I don't want to spoil too much of these utterly fantastic movies which are coming out, so you can see the first part now, the second part next year, a whole year away, 
And then the third part, goodness knows what's going to fit in the third part, since that's nine hours worth of movies, for a book which is only 200 pages long. And goodness knows what's going to be in it, but that's going to be a whole year after that, two years away. So I'll give you a little spoiler, since this little thing called The Book's Out, I happen to have a copy of it in my hot little hands, which, shh, keep it quiet, in case you don't want to have the spoilers of the book from 1937 spoiled. There's a character called Bjorn, a man who turns into a bear, and he's not vegan, but he's pretty explicitly vegetarian. It mentions that he doesn't eat animals, he lives with animals too, he can turn into another animal, a bear, and that, in the end, he has the decisive blow and he wins the victory for the day. So a vegetarian, an explicit vegetarian, ends up saving the day for everyone in the Battle of the Five Armies, as you'll hear now. No more. His name is Bjorn. He's very strong, and he's a skin-changer. What? A farrier? A man that calls rabbits conies when he doesn't turn their skins into squirrels? asked Bilbo. Good gracious heavens, no, 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 said Gandalf. Don't be a fool, Mr. Baggins, if you can help it. And in the name of all wonder, don't mention the word furrier again as long as you're within a hundred miles of his house, nor rug, cape, tippet, muff, nor any other such unfortunate word. He is a skin-changer. He changes his skin. Sometimes he's a huge black bear, Sometimes he's a great, strong, black-haired man with huge arms and a great beard. I cannot tell you much more, though that ought to be enough. Some say that he's a bear descended from the great and ancient bears of the mountains that lived there before the giants came. Others say that he's a man descended from the first men who lived before Smaug or the other dragons came into this part of the world, and before the goblins came into the hills out of the north. I cannot say though I fancy the last is the true tale. He's not the sort of person to ask questions of. At any rate, he's under no enchantment but his own. He lives in an oak wood and has a great wooden house, and as a man he keeps cattle and horses which are nearly as marvellous as himself. They work for him and talk to him. He doesn't eat them, neither does he hunt or eat wild animals. He keeps hives and hives of great fierce bees and lives most on cream and honey. As a bear, he ranges far and wide. And this is the very ending of The Hobbit, when the last battle, when we find out that the vegetarian character saves the day. Or driving them down shrieking and bewildered among their foes. It was not long before they had freed the lonely mountain, and elves and men on either side of the valley could come at last to the help of the battle below. But even with the eagles, they were still outnumbered. In that last hour, Bjorn himself had appeared. No one knew how or from where. He came alone and in bear's shape, and he seemed to have grown almost to giant size in his wrath. The roar of his voice was like drums and guns, and he tossed wolves and goblins from his path like straws and feathers. He fell upon their rear and broke like a clap of thunder through the ring. The dwarves were making a stand still about their lords upon a low, rounded hill. Then Bjorn stooped and lifted Thorin, who had fallen pierced with spears, and bore him out of the fray. Swiftly he returned, and his wrath was redoubled, 
so that nothing could withstand him, and no weapon seemed to bite upon him. He scattered the bodyguard, and pulled down Bolg himself, and crushed him. Then dismay fell on the goblins, and they fled in all directions. But weariness left their enemies with the coming of new hope, and they pursued them closely, and prevented most of them from escaping where they could. Ah, oh, isn't that nice? Isn't it great to know that vegetarians can lead a massacre and make sure that our enemies cannot escape and we kill them all? And Fantastic, <laughs> isn't it? So The Hobbit has many great vegan and vegetarian themes all throughout it, and it shows the importance of having positive role models, you know, that vegans and vegetarians can lead massacres, like the character of Bjorn, who we've just heard about. And I'm reminded of this because when I was a swim instructor, I taught children how to swim, and they were usually between the ages of about... Uh, five to about eleven were the average ages and I was in the swimming pool so I'm this big ungainly man in a polo shirt and sort of board short sort of swimming togs and they're all in their togs and so I'm wearing the the orca swim instructing club uh, <laughs> polo shirt and there was one little boy who was sort of a little social outcast and he was a bit different from everyone very quiet and socially awkward and he had a hero and so for one of the th one of the tasks of teaching children the breathing uh, technique for freestyle, for example, was when to breathe. So they go one, two, three, and by the way, I'm doing arm movements while I record this with the, the stroke for uh, freestyle. And on the fourth stroke, when they pull back with their right arm, that's when they breathe. One, two, three, breathe. One, two, three, breathe. One, two, three, breathe. It's that simple. But for children, sometimes they needed ways to remember the breathing instructions. It's like, you know, 1, 1,000, 2, 1,000, 3, 1,000 to count seconds or something. Although seconds are a bit longer than that, Jordan. That's not very accurate timekeeping. One of the little boys, who was socially awkward, he liked the character of Boromir from Lord of the Rings. And I'm not quite sure why he likes Boromir, because Boromir, as we all know, since we all love Lord of the Rings and J.R.R. Tolkien, he's kind of the traitor. And so he thought he was uh, strong, handsome, rugged, sort of here to the throne, a powerful, mighty warrior. So this boy idolised Boromir, the character from the movie, which was just out at the time. And so this boy's name, I think his name was Michael, it was quite a few years ago now. Michael, he liked uh, Boromir, and so he would say, Boromir breathe, Boromir breathe, for one of the strokes. That's how he counted time, Boromir breathe, Boromir breathe. So, maybe in future, little socially awkward children, they'll be saying, Beyond breathe, beyond breathe. And beyond was a vegetarian, so that's a move up in the world. There's lots of positive vegan and vegetarian memes and themes all throughout The Hobbit. So I think on the whole, it's a good movie to watch and enjoy, and please, for the love of God, support the New Zealand economy, because we really need it. I've been listening to an audiobook called Contact. You might have heard of it. It's by a guy called Carl Sagan, a famous... He's kind of like the Neil deGrasse Tyson of back in the day. And this book Contact is about the star and, well, the planet and... Well, it's about Vega, anyway. Vega, the wonderful star in the sky, which is a whole world, and what if there's a secret radio transmission coming from them? And the people who live on Vega you are, of course, called... Vegans. It's about the government's right to classify material vital to the security of the United States, even if it didn't originate in a classified facility. Do you want to classify the prime numbers? She asked, her eyes wide in mock incredulity. See you outside, Ken. 
She began talking the moment Kitts left her office. What's he after? Vegan death rays? World blower uppers? What's this really about? Well, judging on Bjorn's performance at the end of The Hobbit, as we'll find out in a couple of years' time, vegetarians and vegans are quite capable of leading the death rays. World blower uppers erring. What's he after? Vegan death rays? World blower uppers? Six years for the Berlin Olympics to return to Earth. So the vegans didn't take decades to figure it out. They must have been pretty much tuned, all set up, ready to go, waiting for our first television signals. Whatever vegans knew had not been influenced by peculiarly human institutions, history, or biology. The main religious question in my country, he said, will be whether the vegans have properly denounced Leon Trotsky. So the specialists in every subject began to worry. Mathematicians worried about what elementary discoveries they might have missed. Religious leaders worried that vegan values, however alien, would find ready adherence, especially among the uninstructed young. Well, those are the ones that we're going to try and convert, the uninstructed young, right? Contact also has a touching moment about a caterpillar, how wonderful all life is, and how when we understand and take the time to notice how wonderful other animals are, it's difficult to hurt them. She inclined her head slightly and examined him rather than the caterpillar. He seemed to have little difficulty imagining her as an insect. She tried to reply non-committally, reminding herself that for him this would be a matter of professional interest. What do you do with it now? I'll put it back down in the grass, I guess. What else would you do with it? Some people might kill it. It's hard to kill a creature once it lets you see its consciousness. He continued to carry both twig and larva. It's great to see vegan values of looking after other animals, even little insects and larvae, and about how they are important and matter. And we can even find out about veganism when we turn on the television, as we found out when Sea Shepherd, the uh, Conservation Society, are in, well, they're in New Zealand, not in Invercargill. Greenpeace is coming to Invercargill sometime in January. I'm going to see the Rainbow Warrior, the new boat, the latest Rainbow Warrior boat. And Sea Shepherd have stopped here before at Bluff nearby. But Sea Shepherd are currently in Auckland and Wellington, and, well, I hope they are, they were <laughs> recently, um, and they mentioned on the news report not to drop off meat because the ship's all, can you guess what it is? No, not from the planet Vega, but they're all vegan. Anti-whaling activists will spend $4 million on their biggest ever operation against Japanese whalers this summer. The Sea Shepherd's sending four vessels to confront them in the Southern Ocean, and one's already in Wellington. Adam Ray reports. With its new paint job, the crew of the Bob Barker say they're ready to take a bite out of whaling efforts. She's in the best shape that she's ever been in and is definitely battle ready this season. The paint schemes change, but Sea Shepherd vessels have the usual aim to stop whaling. Three years ago, the AD Gills sank after a collision and other vessels have been damaged. So both sides will be ready for more confrontation. In the past, the whaling fleet has thrown objects, they've thrown bamboo spears, they've thrown nuts, they've thrown bolts at the small boat crews, so it's important they stay safe. Apart from the Bob Barker in Wellington, the Sea Shepherd's chase vessel, the Bridget Bardot, is visiting Auckland to garner public support. But one donation they don't want is meat. 
That's correct, the ship is, uh, is vegan. Sea Shepherd's vessels might be coming here, but the organisation's founder Paul Watson certainly isn't. He's on an Interpol list after skipping bail in Germany. Watson says he'll be arrested if he comes ashore anywhere. It would be nice to come into New Zealand, uh, yes, uh, or anywhere else. I'm sort of condemned to stay uh, at sea, but I mean, that's a small price to pay if we can shut down this uh, uh, whaling operation. He won't say where he is, but is heading to the Southern Ocean aboard the Steve Irwin. Sea Shepherd's spending $4 million this year with four ships, a helicopter and aerial drones. Yes, we've never been uh, stronger and the Japanese whaling fleet's never been weaker, so that's why we're quite confident we can make a, a significant impact. The Japanese whaling fleet departed this week and our government wants both sides to show restraint. Both the whalers and Sea Shepherd seem determined to get their way, so that's unlikely. Adam Ray, 3 News. So the woman, the spokesperson there, she's vegan, and Paul Watson is dietarily vegan because all the Sea Shepherd ships are vegan for conservation reasons, which is kind of cool, I have to say. It's really cool to see a big, powerful organisation that people know, like Sea Shepherd, get out there and say, we're a vegan group, we have vegan ships, we are vegan. And um, it might be a bit different than ethics, the reason of not wanting to hurt other animals. Uh, if the primary reason is for conservation reasons, to save water and use this land, well, well, they're still using the word vegan, so you can support them on that. And it's amazing all the places you bump into vegans, like I was recently at an environmentalist meeting and I heard a familiar voice coming in over the giant speakers as we were learning about why this new particular free trade agreement with New Zealand and Australia and in America it was all kind of bad and I thought the voice sounded kind of familiar. The negotiations are taking place in secret with no possibility of public oversight. So what exactly is the Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement? If the negotiations are concluded, it will be an international treaty between New Zealand, the United States, and nine other countries on the Asia-Pacific Rim. It's often described as a trade agreement, but in reality it is about much more than trade. Man, that person's voice sounds really familiar, don't you think? Can't you recognise that person's voice from somewhere? That's kind of weird. I was trying to place it too. I was thinking, hmm, I've heard that somewhere before. You've probably heard it while looking in the mirror because I was sitting there and I'm like, that's my friend Jolie Gunn, the broadcaster of the year 2012 for Wellington Access Radio, right? <laughs> I'm everywhere, so watch out. Yeah, it was very creepy. I mean, I asked the presenter after the clip, I'm like, um, excuse me, do you know who um, made that clip? Because I think it's my friend. And then, like, I sent Julie a Facebook message while I'm still at the presentation. And, yeah, it does turn out to be Julie. So, weird, you know? Small world, man. Small world. Well, that's it. You never know where I'm going to pop up, uh, especially now. Uh, it was in demand before. But, yeah, I've had a few calls. So, listen out. Listen out. You never know. <laughs> what is it? Is it Candyman? You know, Candyman, Candyman, Candyman. It'll be Julie Gun, Julie Gun, Julie Gun. She'll pop up in the mirror. Some old horror movie from the 80s or something, you repeat the person's name three times. And okay, Jordan, up. you've just done that. You've just repeated it three times. You better watch out. I better not cry. I better not You better pout. not pout. I'm telling you why Julie Gunn is coming to town. No, she's coming to kill you. That's That would be the really <laughs> scary part. She's going to kill you. I'm okay. quite the pacifist, as you know. What I will do is I'll come and eat your yummy vegan baking. Jordan, you make the yummiest banana chocolate chip. Can muffins. I finish off your sentence? Because here at Animal Rights and Wrongs, we're, say it together, 
all about, about the, food. the food. Exactly. We are all about the food. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you always say that. I should have said this. <laughs> we are all about the food. Okay. We are all about the food. Yeah. Well, and we also should congratulate Julie for being, as I said before, the broadcaster of the year 2012 for Wellington Access Radio. How did it feel? Thank you, Jordan. Um, to be honest, I was really shocked. They called all the nominees up and there was quite a few people and I'm standing up there and they're kind of reading out different things about these people and I'm looking around going, wow, there are some incredible people up here who work incredibly hard and who are really involved and I'm thinking, I'm feeling a little bit out of place up here. And I guess it's that thing is that it's not easy necessarily to recognise what other people recognise in you. So obviously, yeah, the show touches and reaches a lot of people and being involved with the radio station, you know, people have really noticed that. So it was just incredibly humbling to think that you can actually, yeah, touch people's lives or make even the tiniest impression. Um, and I'm just excited for the show. I think it's going to be fantastic publicity for the show. Um, and for our animal friends, woohoo! <laughs> well, I have to say you've absolutely touched me and you've changed my life and you're definitely the best Wellington animal rights activist that I know of on the radio. So well done, Julie, and congratulations on your wonderful talent and success. Oh, thank you so much, Jordan. I don't know what to say. Well, I was hoping you're going to say, and Jordan, you're totally the best Invercargill animal rights person who has their own podcast that I know, of. but it's okay because I didn't pay her. So, well, I kind know. of thought there was a given, but yeah. <laughs> I'll just do an impression of your voice, okay, for the recording. Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much, Julie, and have a wonderful time. Have a happy new year, and I hope to hear future episodes of your show, Animal Rights and Wrongs, next year. Thank you, and Jordan, thank you for being part of our show this year and for making it the show that it's been, and we look forward to linking in with you more next year as well. And so you don't only hear vegans' voices while you're sitting in a green thing about, uh, it was about heritage seeds and about local communities and planting organic fruits and vegetables and all kinds of stuff, and you just happened to hear your friend Julie's voice coming in over the loudspeakers and it was very confusing, but... You can also be reading the Sunday newspaper and find, oh wow, there's an article about veganism in it. And joining me today is the author of said article. And joining me today is Venetia Sherson, who's a journalist and who has written a wonderful article about veganism in the Sunday magazine. How are you today, Venetia? I'm very well, thanks very much, Jordan. How did you decide to live vegan, Venetia? And did it gradually come together, or did you bolt upright in the middle of the night and declare to the world, I'm going vegan? Uh, uh, no, not quite. Um, but there was a sort of eureka moment. <laughs> I had a, a health scare about a year ago, and it wasn't anything serious, but I had a cholesterol check at that time, and my cholesterol levels were um, off the charts, and um, I was immediately offered statins, which is the uh, very common drug offered to people with high cholesterol and I thought no there has to be something different so I started to do some research. Um, I am a journalist so I start from the basis that there probably is information if you go finding it and um, I came across quite a lot of uh, writing by, um, by a guy by the name of uh, Caldwell Esselstyn mm. who has written many things but his book which I think has been very persuasive for me is Preventing and Reversing Heart Disease and he's also produced an excellent video called um, Forks Over Knives. Yes. And I found that very convincing, uh, backed up by a lot of good research. Um, and I, I thought, this is something I want to try. And uh, so I set about it, and that's where it started. 
Oh, did you find it quite convincing? The because I I personally focus on the sort of the ethics of using other animals, and I try to avoid as a non-trained <laughs>、uh, medical professional, as a woodworker, as a as a, a manual labourer, I prefer not to make any kind of health claims. You know, it'll it'll make you live forever, and it'll make whites whiter, and all that kind of stuff. Did you find forks over knives and Esselstyns work quite convincing as a person interested in, in your cholesterol? Look, it just—it's just logical to me, Jordan.、Um, you know, I mean, it, it is—you know—when you consider how many people in the world have previously and still do、um, eat plant-based diets, it just seems like,、um, you know, we have been sold a lot of、um, uh, a, a lot of material about the benefits of meat and dairy products in New Zealand, and I've never challenged those.、Um, you know. It's, Not been something I had been that interested in up until very recently, and so I think if I, you know, when I came to it as a journalist looking at the information that was available, the arguments behind that information, I found it very convincing. And it, you know, I can only、uh, relate it to my own experience, and my experience has been that it's good for me. Hmm. I noticed in your article you mentioned we dietary vegans complete only that a plant-based diet is better for our health, which in a country where beef, butter, and milk are dietary staples is tantamount to treason. <laughs> so you're、It、right is, there. It is, and I don't think I'm ever going to be signed up by Fonterra. I think all the beef and lamb、um, people in New Zealand. I, I think you know I put my peg in the stand and in the sand, and it's、um, it's pretty much <laughs> going to stay there now. I think. <laughs> Well, I'm glad to hear that, and, and the idea of the health angle about people、uh, learning more about how we can change our health through our lifestyle is quite quite interesting. I see the Cancer Society is apparently getting more public about reducing meat consumption, as they put it,、mm. and、mm. they also in Queenstown, my friend Jenny, has let me know that the New Zealand Cancer Society is actually running vegetarian cooking classes and lessons、Good. in Queenstown, and it seems to be an, a nationwide policy that they're now starting to say a plant-based diet to a, to some、mm. extent. And I think that's、mm. quite quite interesting as a as a vegan, and I love to see that. And also in the Invercargill Vegan Society, we're lucky enough to have our own little medical ward. <laughs> We have a couple of doctors and nurses who are who are vegan here, and so that's quite interesting to have sort of our own little community of people built up、um, of all kinds of and all kinds of occupations, vets and nurses and students and architects and things. Sort of quite interesting to see that everyone can be vegan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, well, I think you find them everywhere, and that's what I'm discovering, which is a nice thing. Once you come out, people sort of identify with you. Yeah, you mentioned、uh, the waitresses that at these non-vegan restaurants, and they just say, "Like I'm vegan too." Like we're in a secret club. <laughs> yes, yes, and it is a little bit like that. There's no handshake, as far as I'm aware. But <laughs> now that I've sort of started off, you know, my conversation by saying I'm a vegan,、uh, what do you have on your menu for me?、Um, it's amazing. I, I have found that there are. Certainly in Hamilton, where I live, there are quite a few cafes where some of the staff are vegans or vegetarians. And while there may not be a huge array of vegan foods or vegetarian foods on the menu,、um, there is a lot of interest and sympathy from those people. And、uh, so I'm enjoying being, I suppose, a,、um, a catalyst for change in, in Hamilton and people thinking about what sort of food they're they're、um, they're dishing up for for people like me. Oh well, that's that's absolutely fantastic. I have a friend, Emmy James, who lives nearby Hamilton, and her whole family went vegan.、Um, 
because she went to a goat's farm and saw how they took goat's milk and the whole family mm. went vegan. So yeah, they're everywhere in Hamilton as well as a, a strong sort of dairy province like Southland is. And about the handshake, there is actually a secret handshake. I'll have to show it to you sometime and I'll, <laughs> I'll definitely send you an Invercargill Vegan Society badge that you can wear and people sort of recognise that, the green V with Invisoc over it. <laughs> right, okay. I'll, I'll be aware of that if anyone goes to shake my hand after I say what I say. <laughs> So how did you decide to write a feature article on, on veganism on Sunday? Well, as I said, I am a journalist. I've been a journalist for um, well over 40 years, and I often write about my experiences, and I like that because it's a way of sharing my, I suppose, my opinions and also the experiences that I've had on a whole range of things. And I find that uh, because I write for the mainstream media, you get a range of uh, reactions. People respond differently. Many people are interested. Um, a lot of people are curious. Um, some people, of course, you know, disagree, and you, you see that in comments that are written in relation to your article. But, you know, I will never stop doing that because I think, you know, a journalist has also has some obligation to share a little bit of themselves. Normally they um, write about other people, but, you know, I think that, uh, incumbent on us to also uh, share things that we feel passionate about or which may you know, have some, had some influence on us. Mm. Well, in the article you mentioned growing up non-vegan and you mentioned you hunted hares on horseback and while it's also great alliteration, it's also something I hadn't really heard about before. We have rabbit shooting here. So does that involve shooting them from the back of a horse? <laughs> No, no guns involved, Jordan. Um, I, uh, as a child, I hunted hare on horseback. It's um, dogs are involved. They're called hounds. They're never called dogs, actually. Oh, and you could have added that for a fourth age. You could get the chain uh, going. Yeah, it's a hound hunting hares on horseback. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not um, something I'm particularly proud of. But as a child, I found it exhilarating, and I don't think I thought much about what we were hunting. It was just the being on a horse's back and flying across the countryside, jumping fences on the way. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, Britain has banned fox hunting, mm. and New Zealand still hunts hare on horseback, but I'm sure there will be pressure at some stage to, um, uh, to, to maybe, you know, prevent that as well. Oh, okay. So, as someone who went vegan for your personal health, do you feel any differently about killing all other animals in general now? Was it, is there sort of an ethical thing to it as well, or is it mainly a health thing for being vegan? Look, I absolutely support the um, ethical um, issues surrounding veganism. It wasn't my driver, and so I can't be dishonest about that, but I also absolutely understand the pressures on the planet and the um, issues around um, maltreatment of animals. In terms of hunting hare, I, I would never, ever do it now. I'm not about to get out and protest at a, a hunt, but I am certainly um, very vocal about the fact that I think it's a cruel sport now. So um, my views have changed. I guess that's an adult. I'm now I have more wisdom, more knowledge, and um, you know, you do that as you get older. You change your minds about th mind about things, and hopefully come to a good place. Mm. And there was a piece in The Guardian which had a vegan who apparently berated those wicked non-ethical vegans, you know, the unethical vegans, I have to start calling them. Vegans in name only, I'm just joking. Um, you said, you know, I'm, I'm really glad that most vegans do not try and, and kick others out from the club vegan. And do you feel that your personal health has been better since you've lived dietarily vegan? I absolutely do, and um, the uh, comments that I made in the article were taken from, as you say, the Guardian newspaper, mm. and it was a columnist 
who um, had a strong view uh, based on ethical approach. I think it was the fact that she was seeming to put down people who'd chosen a plant-based diet for other reasons, and it was done in a way which didn't allow for much um, uh, sort of flexibility around views. And I know there are a lot of very famous people that have adopted veganism. I don't know what their reasons are for doing it. It may be that some of them want to lose weight. And my experience has been it certainly wasn't an intention to lose weight because I was already um, quite quite trim, but um, I certainly felt that it was going to have a, a positive effect on my health. Um, I found that it has, and um, that's the proof for me. Mm. I was rather shocked to hear the number of New Zealand vegan, vegans given, and that only apparently 5,000 vegans living in New Zealand based on one, one survey or one poll, and that's from 4.3 million people, and the numbers for overseas were quite good. About 2.5% of the American population are now apparently vegan, and that that number has doubled. The number of vegans has doubled in America since 2009, which is great momentum, and that there were a huge, a vast number of vegans in the UK as well. And... In New Zealand, it was mentioned there were 86,000 vegetarians listed. And so do you know of any ideas and any ways, Venetia, that we could ask these 86,000 vegetarians to give up the hen's eggs and cow's milk and join the 5,000 vegans, you know, to get more people in club vegan? <laughs> I, I think that veganism is um, a, 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 um, it's something for our time right now. I think we'll find that the numbers will grow quite rapidly and I think probably people younger than me are coming to it with a great deal more interest and um, excitement. So, you know, uh, the figure 5,000 was, uh, you know, it came from a um, from a database that I assume was uh, was correct. But it's very hard to get accurate data. Um, I think, you know, my view is that possibly this could be a question um, on the census, so that we do get a view of, you know, how we're eating, what we eat, and what changes are happening there, because. You know, there are all sorts of implications for people who grow vegetables or who may be considering opening businesses that have, you know, um, a vegan or a vegetarian um, uh, basis. So uh, it would be nice if those figures could be shown to be accurate. But I also feel, in my, in my sense is that, you know, there are more vegans or more people considering veganism just in my conversations with people. And certainly a lot more people now are eating less meat. So they're on the track and I guess it's not too far from, you know, being vegetarian to being vegan. So that would be quite an easy move, I would imagine. Mm. Well, I was, well, you mentioned all the restaurants that you went to in different places. Some of them could be quite difficult. And there were restaurants in Auckland and Wellington, which stood out mostly. And in some of them, you mentioned that the the staff were quite difficult to deal with as a vegan asking for some, if they could make anything vegan for you at all, it didn't have any vegan options, uh, you know, the vegan option on the menu there. And at the Avocargill Vegan Society, we're currently starting a page on our website of places to eat out here. And so we've started with the simplest, the lowest hanging fruit, since we eat fruit being vegans. Um, mm. And that's fast food takeaway places. So there are Peter Pit and Subway and Howl Pizza in places. But we're also moving through Indian and Thai restaurants. And even a, the southernmost Irish pub in the world, Waxy O'Shea's, as it proudly boasts all our friends in the London suburb of Ireland, like Roger Yates. And so... I rang ahead and they were quite helpful with us and uh, they made a roasted vegetable salad for me, I just had to ask, and they mentioned that if they had even more time, I rang them the day before I was going in after 
already being told that they would have some vegan things available. They even mentioned ordering in dairy-free cheese, which, you know, that would have been really great. And it turned out well with pumpkin, roasted and parsnips, carrot, lettuce, kumara, which is um, sweet potato for the rest of the world, um, and balsamic vinegar. It was really great, and not all restaurants are obviously as obliging as Waxy O'Shea's here. And I noticed in your article you mentioned, uh, quote, some chefs regard veganism as fringe, others as an insult to their trade. Vegans are an affront to everything I stand for, said a chef who did not want to be named. But I'll happily find a few green leaves and grilled aubergine and charge them $20 for the trouble. <laughs> well, I'm pretty happy to say that my colourful and delicious mix of root vegetables and leaves cost just $17.90, so it was a whole $2.10 cheaper than 20 bucks. So that's something. <laughs> Do you have any uh, favourite restaurants that you could recommend for listeners? Well, you're eating out um, vegan. I, I do. And what I've found is that, you know, most of my bad experiences or, or experiences where the food has been less than um, exciting have been in, in hotels where they're catering clearly for a wide range of tastes. And I guess you come to that very sort of um, bland middle ground. Um, most of those places I've been able to find something in the smorgasbord that would suit me. But there's very little on the menu um, that would cater for me. And, uh, you know, if I ask or if I identify myself um, that I am a vegan, uh, sometimes the reaction is curious, sometimes it is, um, it feels like it's it's hostile. It, it may just be that I'm still getting used to this, but, um, you know, there have been occasions I wrote about one experience in Auckland where I asked for a dish to be taken back because it had feta cheese in it and um, the wait staff, or the waiter was, certainly a tad less um, helpful and a, perhaps a tad more pitchy than he should have been as he took it away. So I think there's a range of different um, reactions. Um, my feeling is that some people feel that um, veganism is, is a criticism of their own, um, uh, their own choices and that's certainly not my intention to criticise mm. others. I, you know, I have no, I have no interest even in converting people. I just know that it's it's a good diet. It's a good diet for me. It makes me feel healthy. Um, it's something I wish I'd done years ago, mm. and I have no difficulty in um, in adopting it and loving it. And you know, vegetables taste better. They're not overwhelmed by. <laughs> meaty companions um, my cholesterol has gone down um, I hope that that stays where it is uh, so you know all those reasons are good but y your question was about um, cafes um, that are my favourites um, I live in Hamilton so I've got some um, you know some real favourites in Hamilton people these are cafes that are quite small but they um, are very interested I think in trying new dishes so um, we've got in Hamilton um, a lovely place called River Kitchen, which has a vegan staff member, and I ate there on World Vegan Day, and he was delightful in recommending what they had on their menu. Um, we've got a lovely um, cafe called uh, Mavison Co. and another one called Gray Street Cafe, both in Hamilton East, and they are very. Uh, they often have raw food salads and. Um, good vegetarian dishes and, you know, very happy to adapt them for vegans. There's a Hamilton vegan buffet in Ward Street in Hamilton and there are a range of good um, Asian um, eateries where, you know, you can always find beautiful vegetarian dishes. Um, and, and, and so I, I never feel like we're 
starved of choice. I just wish there were more options on the menu, you know, that there may be, um, I think you see about two or three Vs for the vegetarian on the big restaurant um, menus now. It would be great, you know, if we could have the same number of vegan options um, because I think that's where the shift, you know, needs to come from. Well, I'll just give a little plug for my friends Diana and Ian who have a podcast called The Vegan Option and everyone can find that at theveganoption.org and it's certainly the best vegan option I've found. But about um, the waitstaff being hostile, about the feta cheese when you took it back, well, once I show you the secret vegan handshake, they're normally quite accepting <laughs> of that. So it works out quite well once you know the handshake. It's just one of those little things I'll, you pick up. I'll promise I will learn the handshake, Jordan, and I will... <laughs> I will introduce it wherever I go, just, you know, as long as it's not somebody who's going to punch me in the face for oh, goodness. being over-friendly. Well, and I do also have to admit that I do have a secret desire, to, well, quite an over, quite a public desire to make everyone converted to veganism. And my biggest problem so far is that the Invercargill City Council is pretty good at locking up the gates to the water supply because I keep trying to dump in things that will make people go vegan, like tofu and quinoa and all those lovely <laughs> things that we have, our superfoods that will make everyone vegan. But the gates are yeah, always locked when I go up. there. So I'll keep trying, yeah. though, but I am trying to convert people. So, yeah, well, it sounds like you're doing a good job, and um, you know, I think that as I say, you sound considerably younger than me, and that I think is where the energy will come from. And uh, you know, I, I think it's it's a great pleasure to see um, young people just saying, no, we 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 have sort of values and we have um, strong views about our food as much as about other things, and uh, that's what's driving us. Well, it's great that veganism's for everyone. I mean, I have friends that went vegetarian by their own choice in a non-vegetarian or vegan family when they were four. Luke, Dr. Luke, who's a doctor and who's met Esselstyn, and, and uh, T. Colin Campbell, he went to America, and mm. he's being a doctor. He has a doctor's clinic now in Gisborne. So we're everywhere, and these people are real. Uh, Esselstyn and, and everyone, they're real people, just as your article in a real magazine's real here, because I still get excited just to see the word vegan on print media or something. Uh, it's, it's great to see that it's a real thing and that it's happening here in New Zealand. So thank you very much for writing the article, Venetia, and thank you very much for your time and letting me interview you. It was a pleasure, Jordan. Nice to talk to you. It really was a pleasure, and it really was nice to talk to Venetia. And it's nice to know that there's another vegan in Hamilton, which is the North Island, and that there are more vegans here all the time, and we have friends moving to Invercargill, and that's very exciting. We're going to have our weekly Adventist vegan cooking classes resume in January, if the world doesn't end today. I mean, there's still about an, you know there's still a bit of time left for New Zealand time, for the world to end, or if it's tomorrow, so it wasn't the 21st that the world ends, the Mayans were wrong, the predictions were wrong. Um... We're going to have weekly vegan cooking classes resume, as well as our monthly potlucks, which we're looking forward to. And what's a, uh, um, what do I say, a weekly cooking class, or what's a monthly potluck, without using a, pro a product called the Veg? Because how did we vegans live without a vegan-friendly fried egg? Well, I asked the inventor that recently. And with me today, I have a very special guest, the inventor of the the veg. I was going to say the egg. The veg, a vegan fried egg. How are you today, Rocky? Great. How are you doing, Jordan? Good. So it's 3 p.m. my time in New Zealand and about 9 p.m. your time at night. So sorry about the time difference. <laughs> oh, that's quite all right. And a few uh, interviews uh, uh, overseas before, so I'm familiar with that. Yeah, you, you must be thinking we're all jerks over here making you have unusual times. Oh, no. 
<laughs> Can you describe exactly what a veg is for everyone? It's a simulated egg yolk. Um, uh, and the ingredients are fortified um, nutritional yeast, sodium alginate, uh, beta carotene, and uh, uh, what is the uh, black salt? Okay. Uh, it's it's basically used to simulate the texture, taste, and smell of an egg yolk. Something that no other product has tried to do. Uh, so I I think it's pretty unique. Oh, I thought it was very unique. And so I I had a sample to review, and it looks like a yellow powder. And my first thought, I've got some here. My first thought was it's sort of um, a little bit like nutritional yeast and sort of a rock salt kind of smell and look to it. And I was quite surprised at how well it, it turns out and it, and it works really well. Um, what made you decide to invent a vegan fried egg? Did you go vegan and thought, oh, I miss fried chicken's eggs and I have to make one? How did you come to uh, do it? That's exactly how it happened. <laughs> <laughs> um, I became vegan like uh, seven years ago after attending a... Uh, um, a conference in Washington, D.C. And uh, from that point on, I really noticed this gaping hole in the uh, vegan food uh, production. There's nothing related to eggs whatsoever, hardly. So uh, I decided to, I, I said to myself, well, how hard could it be to create something that's liquid and kind of tastes and smells like like uh, an egg, because I knew nutritional yeast was kind of eggy and cheesy, so I said I'd, I'd start from that point. Added a few things together, and in about six months to a year, I had a pretty good formulation. Oh, wow. So are you, do you work in food science, or are you like a Thomas Edison that you sort of trial and error and you eventually got it, or are you more like a Tesla who works it all out and, and just it all came together, or how did you go about creating it? Do you have a background very, in food science? Very Edison-esque. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I spent uh, about six months to a year just trying different um, iterations and testing it on people and seeing how they liked it. Ah, what was so, what was the conference that you went to in Washington, just in case anyone listening also was there and they might have invented you as you, uh, they might have met you as you were becoming vegan and would later go on to become the creator of the veg? <laughs> oh, it's the Animal animal Rights Conference put on by Farm. Ah, okay. Uh, it's uh, every year uh, they do it in, I think they're doing it strictly in D.C. now. But they used to do it on, on uh, in L.A. as well. So I read on a on a, a review site that you were also working on making a vegan egg white, so you could have the whole veg experience. You'd have the the because the veg at the moment is the yellow egg yolk part, and so you're right. also working on the egg white. I am, and I'll probably be working on that for at least <laughs> another year or two because <laughs> it's really difficult. Mm. Uh, this was, this was a piece of cake. Uh, compared to the egg. <laughs> Can you give us a sneak peek at some of your experiments that you're working with? Like some of the ingredients that you're trying? Well, um, I, I think the best thing I've come up with so far is tofu uh, with, a, with some of the veg mixed in and, and uh, the addition of konjac, which oh. is a, a, the world's greatest thickener, I guess you'd call it. 
it, it does the most amount of thickening of any kind of root product. Um, so I've got uh, a website called theveg.com and there's a link to a video where I actually mix it up and you can see how it's done. And it comes out really convincing. <laughs> um, the only problem is uh, Konjac has uh, some uh, some uh, certain effects of uh, like uh, I forget the term right now, but you if you have too much of it, you'll spend a lot of time in the restroom. <laughs> so it's like a laxative effect, or yeah, exactly. Well, that, maybe that's a that's a positive thing. You could also sell it as a laxative for the laxative effect and yeah, double the market. Laxative, you know, the veg is uh, the world's best laxative. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, so it sounds like an exciting time with experiments for that. Um, on, the, <laughs> on the website, I saw that you have how to make the egg yolk part solid as well. And what was the, the chemical that you used, the calcium, to solidify it, to spherify it? Uh, calcium chloride. When you mix, uh, the, one of the ingredients is sodium alginate. And when that's mixed with calcium chloride, it forms a thin membrane and it encapsulates the actual yolk. So it's very much like a real egg yolk. Maybe not as sturdy, but, uh, but definitely a vegan membrane. And uh, it retains the yolk pretty well. <laughs> it stand up to, I tested it uh, three minutes in a, on a medium in a microwave, and it still was uh, together. So. It can take two. Oh, good. Um, do you have any advice out there for anyone else who'd like to make a somewhat unusual vegan product, like to follow their dreams and to keep to keep at it, and and one day they will be successful as well? Find something that's easy to do at at first, and it doesn't take a big investment in money, and something where there may be nobody else trying to do it because it seems ridiculous, <laughs> and uh, and. Follow your dream, and I think you might uh, be able to do something. <laughs> so, do you have any recipes that you would recommend to make with the Veg Rocky? Because I tried the French toast, and it worked out quite well. And yeah. I also tried making some egg yolks by themselves, some solid egg yolks, and the way I did that was by freezing them, which is also suggested. And they turned out quite well. I managed to freeze one in a muffin, um, sort of a cupcake, sort of size tray, muffin tray, a cupcake tray, I should say. And it came out quite well when I fried it. It stayed together. Sure. I was thinking of uh, marketing it strictly as just a French toast uh, formulation at first. But then I saw uh, the many different things it can do. So I, I strayed away from that. But it does French toast like uh, almost as good as real French toast. So I recommend the French toast. <laughs> Well, I, th I thought it was very good. <laughs> and then the other, another way that's it's really good is to just make some yolk, heat it up, and butter some toast with vegan margarine. Slice it up and and dip the toast into the veg. Um, that's something that uh, they love in the UK. They call it eggy soldiers. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> New Zealand being a colony of those guys. Yeah, we have that as well. <laughs> okay, cool. so. Uh, yeah, you probably know about that. <laughs> oh, well, that's a good idea. Thank you. 
And yeah. so, for for all the vegans in the world, Rocky, we have to thank you for making the veg, which you can find at theveg.com. And uh, thank you for using your genius at mixing powders and things. You didn't use it for evil, like the Unabomber or something, you know, making all the powders and things. You decided to make a great vegan product. And you worked <laughs> really hard, and it turned out great. Thank I you. I appreciate you having me on the show. So we've had two recent potlucks, which haven't been covered yet on coexisting with non-human animals. And you can find both of them on the Invercargill Vegan Society website, invsoc.org.nz. I-N-V-S-O-C dot org dot N-Z or search for Invercargill Vegan Society. And on our Potlucks page you'll find all about December, which was this month, and we had a combined Potluck with the Adventists to celebrate their wonderful vegan cooking class, and there were 50-60 odd people, which is a bit of a step up from our usual uh, round 10 or so, so it was about 5 or 6 times bigger. And there were three vegan cheesecakes, passion fruit and berries and nice biscuit bases, and mine was a bit wobbly, but it it all turned out quite well. And I'll have the recipe for the passion fruit uh, cheesecake on our website soon in future. And so that's exciting. So if you go to the Invercargill Vegan Society website, you can see pictures of all these. And I didn't record any audio at the December one because it was a bit loud and noisy with all these wonderful religious and non-religious folk combined for a vegan potluck. But I do have a recording from the November potluck where we all celebrated our friend Dr. Luke who had to leave and go to the North Island to save lives and, you know, starving third world orphanages and stuff in the North Island of New Zealand, as you do. And we hope that he'll join us in Invercargill again one day soon because we love our friend Luke and it was great having him here. <laughs> Should it? But it's yeah. It's the payment. You know why he does at the end? We're too full to run away. So we're here at our second event for November after that last big one, whatever. And it was all about Dr. Luke's wonderful graduation. And how are you today, Dr. Luke? Um, I'm great, thank you. Feeling kind of full? Yes, very full. <laughs> and, yeah, it's really great that we got to meet you and that you got to see our thing at the hospital, right? Yes, yep. yep you've been, was... How long had you been here before you? Uh, before I came and introduced myself to you guys. Um, <laughs> too long. Um, must have been... I've been here since November, and I'd seen the um, poster up, but I hadn't got around to getting in touch with you guys until after I got back from my elective and so forth. So, um, but yeah... Did you like to stay here in Invercargill? Uh, actually, yeah, it was fantastic. It was lots of um, met lots of great people, including you guys, of course. And you're not saying that just because no. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Um, <laughs> and the hospital was fun to work at at times. And um, yeah, no, it's been been great. <laughs> well, it was great to see you. It was great to meet you. Yeah, well, thank you so much. I've really appreciated it. And yeah, I was going to just been eating bread at home because I've packed up all my stuff already. So. <laughs> and yeah. I promised I was going to say, if you leave me now, you take away the biggest part of me. What is it? A loop like ours is a loop that's hard to find or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Good. Good. Thanks, I'm going to miss that. <laughs> hey, Dan. What did you bring today? Um, I did the emergency. Um, Chocolate dipped strawberries that I made. Did you um, learn that in the art award? <laughs> in like five minutes in Russell's kitchen here, and I made the asparagus, bagels, and hummus, 
and a salsa. Oh, awesome. And that went well with the kind of custard and celery thing that someone brought, right? Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Noelle, are you were talking of parcel? Not normally. Oh, yeah, no, actually, I'm lying. I actually am quite a talkative person, really. <laughs> yeah, I am. What did you and Russell make today? Well, I made the calzone, and I also made the carrot cake. Awesome, awesome. And then Russell did... What was your what was your lentil pie, babe? Uh, a lentil and uh, mushroom pie. <laughs> Sorry, lentil mushroom pie. Did you do something else? No. Tell us about your medical training as well, because like, yeah, I didn't know about this. <laughs> Tell me, because I'm interested. <laughs> uh, the uh, amount of my uh, medical training, uh, which is uh, loosely claimed uh, after being ignored by the uh, by the uh, dictatorship here <laughs> and uh, vegan society, <laughs> is... Uh, 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 I feel like I need the knife now. <laughs> I'm feeling threatened. Was a uh, uh, rescue diver. Hmm. For the Navy, Marines? Uh, got a... No, just, just recovering uh, the dead bodies that the Coast Guard normally runs over. Great. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right. So not so I'm just, I'm just curious. Rescue, rescue dead bodies. So we've got people to rescue them and him if they don't succeed. <laughs> Good backup plan. Thanks, Russell. Carrie, what did you make today? Um, I just made um, satanic stuffers. From the really? best vegetarian burgers on the planet. Again. Oh, okay, it's, good. It's, it's um, Satan stuffed with <laughs> mushroom and onion. And Steve's away in Wellington or something? Yeah. Because we're kind of... He had a very nice curry for lunch. And he's going out for kebabs this evening. Because we're kind of jealous of him, right? Because we always hear about that Auntie Mina's or something that Julie Gunn talks oh, about. Yeah. Oh, I almost forgot my friend Jenny's at Gentle World. Have you guys heard of Gentle World? Mm -hmm. She said that I have to say, hi from Jenny. So I say, hi from Jenny, everyone. <laughs> hi, Jenny. Hi. <laughs> Catherine, what did you make tonight? I made pakoras and a linza tort. Oh, that sounds fancy. It, does, it? it was fancy. <laughs> I called it a jam tart. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> linza tort is like German for jam tart. <laughs> I'll have to check the spelling when I type up. Okay, Catherine, what it's, it's the oldest known... Recorded cake recipe in the world. Really? Not the way I made it, but originally. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Brian, because it was cool that we got to do two things for November, and we got to my new house as well, so yeah, get to look around mm -hmm. and yeah. make yeah. off with the cutlery afterwards before yeah. the end's <laughs> <laughs> A little balanced cutlery. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I'd recently congratulated and thanked and appreciated the lovely... Uh, fork which I've been given to use by Russell and Noel and it had a lovely balance on the end of it it had sort of a lump on the end which like a pommel of a sword the handle of a sword it was quite well balanced as I said <laughs> so we've been having a great time here in the Invercargill Vegan Society and thank you to everyone I've interviewed recently Julie, Venetia and Rocky <laughs> and I'm looking forward to another great year so assuming that we're not all killed today uh, by the comet or the tsunami or whatever's going to do it. So, let's check on our friends The Simpsons from Season 6, Bart's Comet, and see what happened to everyone in their shouterinis. And I wish you all the best, and I hope that I get to talk to you again soon on Facebook, Jordan Wyatt, J-O-R-D-A-N-W-Y-A-T-T, for Invercargill Vegan Society and Coexisting with Non-Human Animals, also on Facebook, if you give us a like and say that you like us and uh, 
be a friend <laughs> and coexisting.co.nz for our website where you'll find all the episodes of coexisting.co.nz coexisting with non-human animals and the Invercargill Vegan Society so how's it going Homer and Flanders and uh, Bart and Lisa and coming. all our other Simpsons friends there it is well, howdly doodly, neighbors. Shouldn't you be in your shelterinis by now? We haven't got shelterinis. We want in yours. Oh, well, sorry, the shelter's kind of full. Really? Oh. Well, we'll just go off someplace and die then. Thanks. Wait! You know, I may regret this when our air runs out and we can't whistle or stay alive, but... Oh, what the heck? <laughs> We can't get the uh, we can't get the door closed. Somebody's gonna have to get out. I get out, but I don't know where I am. Hi! Somebody's touching me! I am. Oh, okay. Okay, okay, let's figure out who should stay. Let's see. The world of the future will need laughter, so I'm in. And it'll need somebody to dispense drinks, i.e. me. Um, and someone will have to run the power. Uh, you can do that, Homer. Uh, yeah, I can do that. Okay, let's start again. We'll need laughter, religious enlightenment, gossip. That's Mrs. Lovejoy. Wait a minute. We all know the one thing we won't need in the future. Left-handed stores. That's you, Flanders. I'm terribly sorry. Flanders is the only useless person here. If anyone dies, it should be him. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. So let's kick Flanders out. Sorry. Well, sir, sounds fair. Doodaloo, everybody. I'll, I'll scream when the comet gets here. Oh, I'm coming with you, Nettie. No, sweetheart. You, you stay here because... Okay. I might go mad with fear out there, so, Todd, I want you to shoot Daddy if he tries to get back in. <laughs> Okay, Dad. Okay. Hey, I got an idea. We can play a game to pass the time. Uh, I'll make the sound of a barnyard animal, and uh, y you all try to guess what it is. <clears throat> It's a pig. It's a cow, man. It's a pony. No, it's a goat. You know, one of them lady goats. There are no lady goats. A lady goat is a sheep. I believe she's right. You're crazy. Dar, what's it to you? What's it to me? Hey, stop. Hey, 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 stop it. Can't you see this barnyard noise guessing game is tearing us apart? Sing, Mo. Was it a duck? No. Don't like it. No. Shut up. Shut up. Stop it. Stop it. I can't take this anymore. I can't let that brave man out there die alone. I'm surprised and disgusted by all of you, especially his children. I'm going out there. And it was a baby ox. He's right, you know. About the ox? About everything. Damn it. Hey, Homer, wait up! I want to die, too! If you are going, I am going. Right 
intro! Reception there sucked. When I was just a little girl, I asked my mother, what will I be? Will I be pretty? Will I be rich? Here's what she said to me. Makes you appreciate the preciousness of life. Let's go burn down the observatory so this will never happen again. I can't believe that extra thick layer of pollution that I've actually picketed against is what burned up the comet. Well, what's really amazing is that this is exactly what Dad said would happen. Yeah, Dad was right. I know, kids. I'm scared too. <laughs> So until next year, 2013, I hope we all make it, What whatever will be, will be. And thank you for listening to Coexisting with Non-Human Animals, episode 89, 2012, the end of non-veganism. <laughs> I like having the hopeful ending on there. Thank you all very much for listening, and thank you for supporting me and the show for another year. And I hope to stay in touch with you until the world really does end in all our lives and may they be long and merry and filled with the hobbit and supporting the new zealand economy and interviewing good friends and weekly vegan cooking classes and monthly potlucks and having good friends above all and so i wish you a happy new year and please don't die on doomsday <laughs> take care and i hope to be in touch with you again in 2013 thanks for listening away from the notion of animals as things and toward the moral personhood of animals. The choice is ours. If you're not vegan, go vegan. It's easy. It's better for you. It's certainly better for the planet. And most importantly, it's the morally right thing to do.